ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد So we've been going through this book, Tadweenu Sunnah, the book that explains how the Sunnah was preserved and maintained, how it was recorded and written down. And the chapter that we have arrived at now is Tariq Nash'at al-Rihlah fi Talab al-Ilm. A history of how Traveling out for knowledge first began. The history of traveling out for knowledge, how it began, how it developed, that is where we are today. الأصل في ذلك رحلة نبي الله وكليمه موسى عليه الصلاة والسلام إلى الخضر وقد قصها الله علينا في سورة الكهف The origin of traveling out to seek knowledge can be said to be in the story of Musa عليه السلام when he traveled out to find الخضر That journey of Musa عليه السلام Traveling out to find Al-Khidr for knowledge. Then that is mentioned by some as the basis and the origin of traveling out for knowledge. وَبَدَأَتِ الرِّحْلَةِ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ بِرِحْلَةِ تِلْكَ الْوُفُودِ مِنَ الْقَبَائِلِ الْعَرَبِيَّةِ الَّتِي كَانَتْ تفد على رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من أنحاء الجزيرة العربية تبايعه على الإسلام وتتعلم منه ما جاء به من الوحي كتابا وسنة As for journeying and traveling for knowledge within this ummah what is the basis of it within this ummah during the Ummah of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then it can be said that the origin of traveling out for knowledge, it occurred during the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when those distant tribes used to travel and come from far places to meet the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And to pledge their allegiance to the Prophet ﷺ. And to learn from him. And then they would go back. So those distant tribes from faraway areas that used to travel and journey to get to the Prophet ﷺ, to learn from him, to pledge their allegiance to him. <laughs> And then afterwards return, their journeying and their traveling is perhaps the basis of 
journeying and traveling for knowledge within this ummah. That's the early history of it from that time. ثُمَّ اهْتَمَّ بِهَا الصُّحَابَةِ بَعْدَ وَفَاتِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ عِنْدَمَا تَفَرَّقَ الصَّحَابَةُ فِي الْأَمْصَارِ بَعْدَ الْفُتُوحَاتِ Then, as we briefly mentioned and touched upon in the previous classes, the companions themselves then began journeying and traveling for knowledge. And in particular, after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, when the companions had then spread to different lands that they were living in, they were no longer all concentrated in Mecca and Medina. They were spread out in various lands and areas. And so the companions would need to travel to each other, to distant places, for the sake of getting those narrations and those uh, a hadith. So you have there three stages in history of traveling and journeying for knowledge. You have the original story of Musa alayhi salam traveling out to Al-Khidr. The story mentioned in Surah Al-Kahf. And that was for knowledge. So that is a basis and a source of this journeying and traveling out for knowledge. Then in this ummah, it occurred initially when the far and distant tribes used to travel and journey to get to the Prophet ﷺ to learn from him, etc. and then go back. And then after the death of the Prophet, now the third stage, after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, how the companions themselves would journey and travel out to other companions for narrations. So the first stage, the story of Musa salam. The second stage, the tribes coming to the Prophet wasallam, And the third stage or the third point in history regarding traveling and journeying, the companions themselves going out to learn that sunnah. This highlights to you the importance of learning the religion properly and carefully. Traveling out to get to knowledge is something historically known and established. To travel out to find that knowledge. Because this is your religion. You cannot just learn your religion randomly anywhere here or there. Randomly just on YouTube, anybody, anyone. You have to go to the right sources. You have to get to the pure sources of the knowledge, the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and go to the people upon the Sunnah, teaching that Qur'an and Sunnah. So for those who are able to travel, then certainly that travel should occur. Now, we see in some of the classes, in the various cities, in the various places, in other areas, Liverpool, Bolton, Manchester, various places where classes are being done, it is noticed that some people, they travel from half an hour car rides away to attend the class. Some of them 45 minute car rides away, 30 miles, some of them on the motorway. They come, the brothers, to attend the classes. 
This is something very good and something important. And it doesn't have to be those distances. Here leads we're talking about, for example, for this class, that people should make the effort five miles, six miles in and around Leeds and the areas to come and to attend the gatherings of knowledge. So you can see here, traveling out for knowledge, historically it has its roots from the time of the Prophet ﷺ in this ummah. The companions, when they began traveling, we mentioned some of those examples before, when Jabir ibn Abdullah traveled to Abdullah ibn Unais, and it took him a month to get there. For the sake of only one hadith he wanted to learn from him. Single hadith he wanted to learn from him, and he traveled a month in distance for it. So that is the history of how that journey began in the first three stages of it. Then the fourth stage of it, or the fourth area of the history in traveling, occurred after the companions at the time of the tabi'een, the students of the companions. During that time, the tabi'een in their generation, they needed similarly to gain this knowledge, to gain the ahadith, the narrations, the chains of narration. And so they had to find the companions. The companions were now widespread across the various lands. So the tabi'een for that knowledge, for those narrations, had to go and find those companions. And so they would travel to Iraq and to to Palestine and to Mecca, Medina, wherever it may be, traveling out to those companions to get that knowledge similarly. وَمَا كَانَ يَتَيَسَّرُ لِلْرِّجَالِ أَنْ يُحِيطَ عِلْمًا بِحَدِيثِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ دُونَ الرِّحْلَةِ إِلَى الْأَمْصَارِ وَمُلَحَقَةِ الصَّحَابَةِ الْمُتَفَرِّقِينَ فِيهَا In those days especially, there was no other means. If you needed that narration, you needed that knowledge, that hadith, you had to go to the companion. You had to go find the narrators. That was the only way. And so the tabi'een during their generation, in their quest for knowledge, they had to go traveling, seeking out those companions wherever they were, to gain that knowledge from them. Al-Imam Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib, he said, إِن كُنْتُ لَأَسِيرَ فِي طَلَبِ الْحَدِيثِ الْوَاحِدِ مَسِيرَةَ الْلَيَالِ وَالْأَيَّامِ That sometimes for the sake of one hadith, I would travel and travel days and nights to get to somebody for the sake of that one hadith. Similarly it mentions, عَنْ أَبِي الْعَالِيَةِ الْرَيَاحِ كُنَّا نَسْمَعُ الْرِوَايَةَ بِالْبَصْرَةِ عن أصحاب رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فلم نرضى حتى ركبنا إلى المدينة فسمعناها من أفواههم He says we used to hear the narrations, the hadith in Basra, Iraq. We were there and those narrations, those hadith, he says we used to hear them there. However, he said we were never satisfied until we journeyed out 
and got to Medina and heard it from those companions directly. They would hear the narrations where they were in Basra from those companions via other people in the chain. And they said, we weren't pleased with that. They would travel out to the source to hear those narrations directly from the companions. Shows you how much precision they had. They wanted those narrations accurately, precisely from the sources. Knowing that this is their religion. Not blindly here, there, anywhere. So, what are these reasons then? How can we summarize the reasons as to why they used to travel out? During the time of the companions, they used to travel out to hear narrations from the other companions that they themselves hadn't heard from the Prophet ﷺ. There may have been some companions and they themselves directly did not hear certain ahadith from the Prophet ﷺ. So then they would go and find companions who had heard directly from the Prophet to take those narrations from them. Or sometimes they would travel out to other companions in order to double check the narration that they already had. They would go to other companions who had those narrations too in order to read with them to double check and verify and authenticate and make sure they were precise. So they would do that too as another reason for why they used to travel That was at the time of the companions. As for the time of the tabi'een, in that generation by now, the companions had become widespread across the various lands. So their reason for traveling was because that was the only way they could get to the source of that knowledge. They had to go to wherever those companions were. Wherever those companions were with those narrations, they had to travel and get to them. Because the companions were now no longer just in Medina or Mecca, they were widespread. So during the time of the Tabi'een, they had to travel because that was the only way to get that knowledge, to get those narrations from the sources of those companions. Then, there is a third reason also. Why traveling became important. And that is, or from amongst the third reason, is that many people during the time of the Tabi'een onwards, there were people who began to fabricate narrations. There were people who began to lie, make up hadith. And so they used to travel to go and verify and check all of these narrations, to go and verify and check the chains of narrations, to make sure that this particular hadith was actually authentic. An example of that is a narration, عَنِ الْمُؤَمَّلْ ibn Ismail قَالْ He says, 
حدثني ثقة بفضائل سور القرآن الذي يروى عن أبي بن كعب He said an authentic narrator a reliable narrator narrated to me some of the virtues of the Quran a hadith that talked about the virtues of the Quran and it was narrated apparently from the companion Ubay ibn Ka'b so he says i asked my sheikh or he asked this particular sheikh who was narrating this hadith about the virtues of the Quran about certain chapters of the Quran he said to him man haddathaka who narrated this hadith to you he asks that sheikh who narrated this hadith to you that sheikh tells him haddathani rajulun bil madain wa huwa hay he says a man a sheikh in madain in iraq He narrated this hadith to me. He's alive still now. So then he says, فَصِرْتُ إِلَيْهِ That he traveled to go to him. When he got to him, he said to him, مَنْ حَدَّثَكَ Who narrated it to you? This hadith about the virtues of certain chapters of the Quran. If you read them, you get this reward and that reward. Who narrated the hadith to you? That sheikh tells him, Shaykhun bi Wasit, a sheikh in Wasit, another city in Iraq. And he tells him, he's still alive currently too. So then he travels all the way to him, goes and travels all the way to him. فَصِرْتُ إِلَيْهِ فَقَالْ حَدَّثَنِي شَيْخٌ بِالْبَصْرَةِ He tells him, it was narrated to me by a sheikh in Basra, another city in Iraq. A sheikh in Basra. He's alive. So then he goes and travels all the way to him. He tells him, حَدَّثَنِي شَيْخٌ بِعَبَادَانِ That a sheikh in Abadan, which is in Iran, narrated it to me. And he's still alive too. So then he goes all the way to him. And he says, when he got there, أَخَذَ بِيَدِي فَأَدْخَلَنِي بَيْتًا فَإِذَا قَوْمٌ مِنَ الْمُتَصَوِّفَ وَمَعَهُمْ شَيْخٍ That when he got there to this sheikh's house in Iran, he says, they took me by the hand and took me inside the house, and there was a group of Sufis there with a sheikh. A group of Sufis there with a sheikh. فقال, and the man tells him, هَذَا الشَّيْخِ حَدَّثَنِي He's the sheikh who narrated it to me. So then now he's got to the final source. He gets to that sheikh and he says to him, Ya sheikh, oh sheikh, how many people has he been through now? Four or five people traveling around until he's got to this final sheikh to find out about this hadith of the virtues of the Quran. He says to him, oh sheikh, man haddathaka, who narrated it to you? Where is the chain of narration above you? He says, that sheikh says to him, or so-called sheikh says to him, he says, لَمْ يُحَدِّثْنِي أَحَدٍ 
He says to him, Nobody narrated it to me. Nobody narrated it to me. He said, but the issue is, we noticed that the people were turning away from the Qur'an. People weren't putting the effort in with the Qur'an. They weren't doing their reading, their recitation, etc. They weren't putting the effort in with the Qur'an. We noticed that happening a lot amongst the people. So he said, فَوَضَعْنَا لَهُمْ هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ He said, so we made up this hadith. We made up this hadith to try and get them back onto the Qur'an again. We just made up this hadith. That the Prophet said, you'll get this reward and that reward if you read this chapter of the Qur'an, that chapter of the Qur'an. He said, we just made it up. To encourage people to come back to the Qur'an again. And to give more focus to the Qur'an again. Basically therefore, completely and utterly fabricated the hadith. It wasn't a hadith at all. Fabricated by him even though he may claim that his intentions were good. That we noticed the people weren't reading the Qur'an anymore. They weren't putting focus into the Qur'an. So we made up a hadith. Virtues of this chapter, virtues of that chapter. Read the Qur'an to get them back into reading and learning and practicing, etc. They may claim the intention was good, but they've fabricated a hadith. So at the time of the tabi'een, this was a key issue. They used to travel around like this, checking up on all of the chains of narration getting to the sources of things to establish whether these narrations are authentic or not. The fourth reason why they used to travel, the first was, During the time of the companions, they would travel to each other to maybe hear other hadith they personally hadn't heard, or to go and revise and double-check their narrations and make sure they are precise at the time of the companions. At the time of the tabi'een, they would travel because the companions were widespread all over the place now. So the tabi'een had to travel out to get there for that knowledge. Third reason mentioned here was to verify narrations. Tabi'een traveled checking up on the change of narration to verify whether those narrations are authentic or not. The fourth reason now is what is known as ulul isnad that sometimes a tabi'i had a particular narration, and we spoke about this briefly before, had a particular narration narrated to him via person A, via person B, via person C, to the companion, to the Prophet He didn't want to have such a long route when person A is still alive yet. 
So if person A is still alive, it means he can bypass person C and person B, go straight to person A and get that narration directly from him. And then when he narrates it, he can just say, narrated from that Sheikh A, from the companion. Instead of saying, narrated, I narrated from my Sheikh C, from his Sheikh B, from his Sheikh A, from the companion. So sometimes they would go traveling out for a hadith that they already had. They had those narrations, they had those hadith, but they would travel out to make their chains of narration shorter, to get closer to the source of the knowledge. That is something which is established and known also from their journeying and from their traveling. As well as generally speaking, for all of these travels of the Tabi'een, generally speaking, they will travel to go and meet those sheikhs. To go and meet the other sheikhs, to learn from them and to sit with them and benefit from them. So they will travel to go and meet with those mashayikh. Then after that, أَهْمِيَّةُ هَذِهِ الرِّحْلَةِ وَأَهْدَافُهَا What is the real importance behind traveling out for knowledge? Why did they used to travel out for knowledge? What is the real importance behind that? Because remember, all of this is about preservation of the sunnah and how it was preserved and maintained and how we now follow that pure sunnah. Not just blindly anything and anything everywhere, but to follow the sunnah precisely. كَانَ لِلْرِحْلَ أَثَرٌ فِي شِيُوعِ الْأَحَدِيثِ وَتَكْثِيرِ طُرُقِهَا one of the advantages that occurred from this traveling around that the Tabi'een did is that as a consequence, knowledge became widespread. If a Tabi'i traveled a month to some other country to hear some hadith, he's now got those hadith and he's brought them back to where he lives and all of his students are now going to narrate from him. So now, in that way, knowledge began to spread everywhere. Those ahadith became preserved everywhere. Because the tabi'een were going, traveling for weeks at a time, getting that knowledge, getting those chains, getting those narrations, bringing them back to where they are teaching their students. Now, these narrations that were months away in some other land are now here in this land. Maybe some other people, some other tabi'een then come to him and take those narrations from him back to their land and teach their people. So those narrations became spread, preserved, memorized by various places, lands, people. That is one of the means of the preservation of the sunnah. It wasn't pinpointed to one area when those scholars died, sunnah was gone. Sunnah was widespread in the various places, learnt by them, spread by them. كَمَا أَنَّ لَهَا كَانَ لَهَا أَثَرٌ فِي مَعْرِفَةِ الرِّجَالِ بِصُورَةٍ دَقِيقَةٍ Also, traveling around everywhere meant they got to know people everywhere. And they got to know who all the different narrators are. So that way, 
they became a lot more precise in being able to determine which chains of narration are good and which are not. Because they can see in such and such a chain of narration there is such and such. We came across him in the land of such and such and they told us he's a weak narrator, he's got poor memory. They know now. They've been traveling around, they've been coming across people, they've been coming across different narrators, different mashayikh, different people who've been narrating from those people. It's all interconnected now with their journeying. And as a consequence of that, their knowledge of chains and of the narrators became much more precise. Meaning, all of that creates a much more progressive environment in establishing and maintaining the sunnah with precision. They have knowledge of all of those men and all of those chains of narration. Then, it is mentioned by some of the scholars the different levels of journeying. In a book by Ar-Ramahurmazi, there is a scholar by the name of Ar-Ramahurmazi, and he wrote what is potentially the first book in the sciences of Hadith, Al-Muhaddith Al-Fasil. He mentions in there the different levels of journeying. He mentions the names of people who traveled out to multiple countries. And then people who traveled out to certain countries, the different levels of their traveling. In those days, the most important places for knowledge, the most important hubs, hubs of knowledge in those days were Medina, Mecca, Kufa, Basra, Sham, the area of Sham, Misr, Egypt, Maru, Ray, Bukhara, these are areas in modern day Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, those kinds of areas. Knowledge was spread into those areas. Those are some of the main hubs of where that knowledge was, where the scholars was, where they used where the scholars were, where they used to travel. سئل الإمام أحمد عن طلب عن طالب العلم هل يلزم رجلا عنده علم فيكتب عنه أو يرحل إلى المواضع التي فيها العلم فيسمع منهم فقال يرحل ويكتب عن الكوفيين والبصريين وأهل المدينة ومكة وشام الناس يسمع منهم الإمام أحمد was asked do you stay just in your homeland and seek knowledge from the one who has knowledge and write from him or do you travel out to the other places to hear the knowledge too? Al-Imam Ahmed said, travel out too. Of course in your own land, but then travel out too where possible. Mix with the people, he said. Mix with the people. Travel out to Medina, Mecca, Basra, Kufa, and learn from them, hear from them too. In fact, in one narration it mentions... The statement of Ibrahim ibn Adham, he said, Inna Allah yadfa'u al-bala'a an hadhihi al-umma 
that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removes trials from this ummah via the traveling of the people of hadith. They go and travel and gain knowledge, bring back knowledge, all of which aids in the removal of trials and tribulations that are occurring due to ignorance and jahl. So you can see there was a lot of importance given to traveling for sake of knowledge. For the sake of knowledge, for the sake of single hadith sometimes, it's something very important. If a person now lives, for example, in an area where there are no classes close by to you, but you have the ability and the means to travel, then do so. Travel out 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour. It's once a week. Imagine you have a markaz, an hour from your place, an hour's drive, even two hours drive, three hours drive, for one journey a week. If you have the ability, you have a vehicle, you have some brothers together participating in that journey, for once a week, certainly you should do it. Certainly. Once a week, two hour journey for the sake of attending a class, excellent. If that's all you have available, you should do that. Those living in areas who are in that type of circumstance, they should do that. One journey a week to attend a class, an hour there, an hour back, two hours there, two hours back. What better way are you going to spend your time? Look at the Salaf, how they used to travel for knowledge. If you don't have the ability absolutely, then of course, broadcasts, online, radio, various means for you to still seek that knowledge. Then the next chapter we move on to here is the chapter regarding the people of desires and the different groups that started to occur. Because we have to learn our religion accurately. There are many people out there who are calling to Islam in an inaccurate way. You have the khawarij calling to bombings and suicides and killing and murder under the guise of the sunnah, under this claim that it is sunnah, it is Quran, it is Islam. And Islam, Quran, sunnah is innocent of their claims and their Beliefs. You have the Sufis claiming all types of things, but the religion is innocent of their claims. So it's important to know the exact and precise method of practicing the religion. We can't just blindly practice in any way, but that's why it's important to learn about the different groups that emerged. So many Muslims out there now, different groups, all the groups thinking that they are the right way. The Prophet ﷺ told us, إِنَّ هَذِهِ الْأُمَّةِ سَتَفْتَرِقُ إِلَى ثَلَاثٍ وَسَبْعِينَ فِرْقَةٍ كُلُّهَا فِي النَّارِ إِلَّا وَاحِدًا That this ummah will split up into 73 sects. All of them in the fire except one. قَالُوا مَنْ هِيَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ They said, which one is that, O Messenger of Allah? قَالْ مَا أَنَا عَلَيْهِ الْيَوْمُ وَأَصْحَابِي he said, what I am upon today are my companions. That is the true and upright way. 
We have to understand what that is. And we have to understand that some of these Muslims have made mistakes and they have deviated away from understanding the true religion of Qur'an and Sunnah with evidences. And it's clear to see some of their misguidances. The khawaris, the takfiris, bombing, killing, murder, calling to all of those types of things. You can see this is against what is in the Qur'an, what is in the Sunnah. So it's important to know about these deviated groups so that you can protect yourself from falling into their ways. As Hudayfa said, كَانَ النَّاسُ يَسْأَلُونَ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ عَنِ الْخَيْرِ وَكُنْتُ أَسْأَلُهُ عَنِ الشَّرِ مَخَافَةً أَنْ أَقَعَ فِيهِ أو مَخَافَةً أَنْ يُدْرِكَنِي He said people used to ask the Prophet وسلم, about the good. But I used to ask him about the bad, about the evil. Fearing that otherwise it may overcome me. If I don't know what the bad is, then it may well overcome me and I don't even realize. As they say, كَيْفَ يَتَّقِي مَنْ لَا يَعْرِفْ مَا يَتَّقِي How can somebody protect himself from something if he doesn't know what it is that he needs to protect himself from? How can you protect yourself and safeguard yourself from something if you don't know what you're supposed to be protecting yourself from or safeguarding yourself from? You don't know that something is shirk. You don't know that something is bid'ah. You don't know that something is misguidance. Then you're going to end up doing it without even knowing. And you may be doing something which is misguidance that will not be accepted by Allah. It's not an act of worship that is from the sunnah. You may end up doing that because you think it is, you don't know that it's a misguidance. So it's important to know about this. In the early days, إِنَّ أَعْدَاءَ الْإِسْلَامِ مِنَ الطَّوَائِفِ وَالْأُمَمِ الَّتِي قَضَى عَلَيْهَا الْإِسْلَامِ وَنَسَخَ دِيَانَاتِهِمْ لَمْ يَهْدَأْ لَهُمْ بَالْ وَلَمْ يَقَرْ لَهُمْ قَرَارٍ مُنذُ رَأَوْ ذَلِكَ الْإِنْتِشَارَ الصَّرِيعِ لِلْإِسْلَامِ وَذَلِكَ الْإِقْبَالَ الشَّدِيدَ عَلَيْهِمْ مِنْ أَبْنَاءِ شُعُوبِهِمْ لِذَلِكَ شَرَعُوا فِي الْكَيْدِ وَالْمَكْرِ لِهَذَا الدِّينِ وَأَهْلِهِ The enemies of Islam from all of the different groups and the different nations, their practices of shirk were nullified by Islam. And they saw how their tribes and their children and their offspring were entering into Islam in those days. And how their religion had been nullified and their shirk had been nullified and their own tribes their own clans, people were leaving them and going to Islam. And so this obviously brought a lot of discomfort to them, the staunch ones. And so slowly they began to plot and plan against Islam and the Muslims. وَلَمَّا كَانَتِ الْمُجَابَهَا الْمِكْشُوفَ لِهَذَا الدِّينِ وَكِتَابُهُ الْكَرِيمِ غَيْرَ مُمْكِنَ لِجَأَ هَؤُلَاءِ الأعداء إلى حيلة التظاهر بالإسلام وإبطال خلافه ثم أخذوا يثيرون شبهات ويبثون الشكوك بين المسلمين. Trying to come and attack Islam openly wasn't possible. 
it wasn't going to be possible for them to just come and take down Islam. So then they had to resort to devious ways by apparently showing that they are upon Islam, but inwardly they were upon deviations and forms of deviated beliefs that they were spreading, that poison they were spreading from within. They couldn't attack from outside. So they began to plan and plot from within, apparently demonstrating Islam, but then spreading those doubts amongst the Muslims from within Al-Islam. وَقَدْ وَجَّهُوا رِمَا حَشُكُوكِهِمْ وَصِهَامْ شُبَهَاتِهِمْ إِلَى السُنَّةَ الْمُطَهَّرَةَ وَرُوَاتِهَا وَالسُنَّةَ هِيَ الْمُوَضِّحَةَ وَالْمُخَسِّرَةَ وَشَارِحَ لِلْقُرْآنِ فَالطَّعْنُ فِيهَا طَعْنٌ فِي الْقُرْآنِ وَالطَّعْنُ فِيهِمَا تَحْرِيفٌ لِدِينِ الْإِسْلَامِ So how did they begin their plan and their plot was not to try and attack the Qur'an or to attack the Sunnah to say direct evil things against them. That's not going to work. Their plan was to try and discredit, to try and take down the narrators of hadith. Because if you can discredit and take down the narrators of hadith, it means their narrations are no longer viable. If you can try and put enough doubts into people and create enough confusion and distortion regarding narrators, then that means their narrations are now in doubt too. And their narrations are about the religion, the sunnah. They can't attack the sunnah directly and say sunnah this, sunnah that. So they attack the narrators of the sunnah because if you can discredit the narrators, it means you've discredited the narrations. If this person, you can prove he's a liar, then his testimony that he gave is no longer going to be valid. So they began with this type of attack. Trying to discredit the narrators of a hadith. وَكَانَ مِنْ بَيْنِ أُولَئِكَ الَّذِينَ تَظَاهَرُوا بِالْإِسْلَامِ وَكَانَ لَهُمْ أَثَرٌ كَبِيرٌ فِي إِثَارَةِ الشُّكُوكُ وَالشُّبُهَاتِ حَوْلَ سُنَّ الْمُطَهَّرَةِ وَرَوَاتِهَا From the heads of these types of people who did this, who from inside of Islam, from within, tried to bring doubts upon narrators, and therefore try and bring down the sunnah. From the heads of them, Abdullah ibn Saba'a. Abdullah ibn Saba' the Jew. He's famous, known about him, Abdullah ibn Saba' from the head of the Abdullah ibn Saba' from the heads of homework for this week, have a look into Abdullah ibn Saba' have a look into this individual and his evil. There were others, Susan, the Christian, and this Christian, Susan, he is the one who Ma'bad al-Juhani took some knowledge from and distortion and deviation from 
and he's the one who then made the innovation of uh, regarding the decree. Now the aqidah of some of the Muslims is deviated in the decree when it comes to the issues of the decree. That deviation came from partially Ma'bad al-Juhani. He took it from Susan, individual by the name of Susan, the Christian. These were individuals who were spreading their doubts and you can see how they spread within Islam. Ma'bad al-Juhani spreading these deviations from within Islam. And there are others famous like Al-Jahm ibn Safwan, الذي أخذ آراءه عن السمين عن السمنية الهنود وقد أفسد هذا الرجل في الدين الإسلامي ولم يفسده تفسده أمم غيره الجهم بن سفوان who took from the the Indians who took from some of the 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 مشركين etc he created a great deal of deviation as you know the جهمية in names and attributes of Allah all types of things and they took from those doubts that were coming from these people who were purposely pushing them into Islam. That's where we'll round off on today's point then. Insha'Allah ta'ala, we'll carry on with the next section from next week at approximately the same time. Insha'Allah ta'ala. Wa sallallahu ala bina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. You're all on the group like I keep saying the WhatsApp or something because soon the clocks are going to change, prayer times are going to change a lot. So, you know, times for classes may alter. If you're not already, you should put your numbers onto the list. Give your numbers to the brother here. Put them onto the list and then you get updated if there's a change to the class time. Sometimes midweek something may happen and we may change the class time for a Sunday. It may not always be in advance from one week to the next, I can tell you. So you should put your names onto the groups and things just in case something happens midweek and you know clock changes, the, the prayer times change significantly to be aware of what's happening with the class, inshallah. Ah yes, next week as well, on Saturday... Saturday coming up now, there's a, a lecture that's going to be held in Oldham. Oldham, this is the first time we're going to do a lecture there. So it would be very beneficial and suitable for everybody to try and come and participate. For the people of Oldham, this is the first da'wah we're going to try there. So it would be something very good if Ahlul Sunnah, the Salafiyun, they come, they participate, they show everybody there, the people of Oldham, the da'wah, what it is. So it would be very good if everybody comes to Oldham next week. Again, the details, you can get them from the brothers here. They'll have the posters and they can give you the addresses now. To come Saturday 7 p.m. to Oldham. It's not far from here. And to attend that evening event which is going to take place there, inshallah ta'ala. So get the addresses of the brothers. They'll have it on their social media. It's available. It's here, but uh, you can pass it around as well afterwards. Uh, it's it's in the Pakistani community center, uh, just a community hall in Oldham. The postcode is OL41EG. OL41EG in the Pakistani community center in Oldham next week at 7 p.m. 
So, we'll carry on uh, ourselves next Sunday, inshallah ta'ala.